Welcome to Cultural Controversy with Shannon Fisher, where we tackle everything from the fabulous to the forbidden. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cultural Controversy. My guest today is Adrian Hahn, and he has written a book entitled You've Been Played, How Corporations, Governments, and Schools Use Games to Control Us All. He has designed games for Disney Imagineering, Microsoft, the BBC, and many others. His games have won Best of Show and Best Game at South by Southwest, and he created the most popular smartphone fitness game in the world, A Zombie's Run. So Adrian Hahn is here today to talk to us about the gamification of our culture. Welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. So gamification is the use of game principles for non-game purposes, like collecting points and achievements. And on the surface, one would think that this would make things more fun. And it does in some instances. But in the book, you talk about how it is often this generic gamification that kind of removes the joy from not only games, but but anything that's being gamified. So can you describe the difference between uh, positive gamification and generic gamification? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I use those terms because video games and ideas of games are so broad, right? There's so much difference between a board game and you know a video game and a sport but they're all games in a way so generic gamification is when you try and use things like leaderboards and badges and levels and experience points to turn more or less any activity into something that you think will be more fun or more motivating so if you've used a peloton if you've got a fitbit if you've got you know an apple watch or things like that if you've got pretty much any smartphone, you will have seen generic gamification at work, whether that's giving you a badge for walking for 30 minutes or, you know, leveling you up because you've translated a whole bunch of things in Duolingo. And I, I think that is, it's not the worst thing in the world. I don't think it really works <laughs> for most people. <laughs> uh, uh, um, for, for a very long time, the sort of the, the research is not very good on that. Um, positive gamification, I think we can all think of uh, instances where we've played a game that has taught us something, right? So there are uh, games like Minecraft, for example, which can be used for programming or, um, I mean, really simply, uh, Mavis Beacon teaches typing. You know, there are game modes in there where if you practice enough, then, then you will get faster at typing. And it is mm -hmm. a little bit more fun, a little bit more bearable than just copying out text. So. I think there are there are lots of places where gamification can be used to help us achieve our own goals where mm -hmm. we are aligned with the game designers. Sure, sure. And and you talk a little bit about how gamification is uh, it, it, in those circumstances is it, it's meant to kind of trick us uh, it, to control behavior into you know spending more money or thinking a certain way or just to keep keep going with the app or the game to, to generate revenue. And these achievements can propel people to play more and increase their competitive urges. And you say that all of the current kind of craziness in this aspect started with four square check-ins. So tell me a little bit about the progression. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the term gamification is pretty new. It's really only about 15 years old. 
Um, the ideas behind gamification have been around for decades, if not centuries, but people only really started using the word back then. And of course, Foursquare, if you, if you remember it, basically it was one of the early iPhone apps and you would go to a real world location, like a bar or a museum or an office, and you would check in using GPS and you'd say, I've been here or I'm here now. And you'll get points for that uh, check-in, you'll get badges and you'll become a mayor. And it turned basically being a person <laughs> going to places into a game and people mm -hmm. would be really competitive with this. And, and Foursquare, um, became really popular. It got downloaded a lot of times. Um, and a lot of people thought that was because of its gamification. They thought if you added gamification to other apps, then you would also be successful. And so you started seeing other websites include sort of light gamification ideas like progress bars on LinkedIn, for, you know, completing your profile. Um, you'd start seeing them in, in know health and fitness apps all sorts of things and and it became so common that, that obviously people came up with this term of gamification to try and turn an otherwise sort of boring or, or neutral activity into something that that's more fun that would get people doing the, doing it more sure and you you talk about how loyalty programs like starbucks rewards uh have customers earning stars and having challenges to win stars and and that you know points being earned like in frequent flyer programs uh, there are even you know sites and publications dedicated only to yeah. maximizing points and so this is kind of you know it's it's an immediate gratification and people can find that they start acting in life that they're living for this reward. They get used to being rewarded for all of these actions and that the constant push to level up is actually affecting people's self-esteem. Yeah, I mean, look, these games are trying to change people's behavior. That That's pretty uncontroversial. Like, uh, I mean, if they if they weren't trying to do that, then, then that's not really a point in the game. And so the question is whether what the designers are trying to do is what you want to do. Like with sure. Starbucks, of course, they're saying, well, we, we want to reward you for being a loyal customer. Of course, they, they want you to spend more money at Starbucks. That, that's the point. And same with, with frequent flyer miles. And I think that, you know, what is what is new uh, about these things? Because we've had loyalty cards for a while and we've had frequent mm -hmm. flyer um, programs for a while. Is that because we have smartphones and because they're always connected to the internet and because they have access to more of our data and information and personal information, it is possible for them to become much faster and more reactive and more interactive. So whereas in the past, you know, you would go to a cafe and you get a star on your or a stamp on your card, and that was it. Now if you you have a Starbucks app, it can notify you about new offers and it can say, well, you've got you know, a certain amount of time left to go and get this. Or if you're using Duolingo, it can ping you and say for the next hour, you can get double XP if you go and do more um, translation. And so, mm -hmm. yes, it's the same sort of thing that we've had in the past, but no, it, it because it is so tied to ourselves and because it's you know a device that you have on your body usually um most of the day it it feels so much more it's much more powerful you know it's much more able to change our behavior uh, faster and and more powerfully and, and you say that a, a lot of what is happening now is in the workplace that companies like amazon and uber 
really rely on these types of applications as a business model for employee management. And you say that this really can kind of take a toll on the worker's psyche and morale and be somewhat mind numbing. Yeah, I mean, you know, to take the example of Uber, obviously, you know, if you if you drive for Uber, then it's not like you're you're being managed by human, you know, you're being managed by the app. And so how does the app motivate you to work more and, and maybe work more than you would like to? Well, it, it could just go and say, pop up a message saying, please work more, right? That's probably not gonna work. But instead it creates quests. And so it will say, if you go and drive 50 times, 100 times this week, then we will give you a bonus of $40 or $50. And you might think, well, that's good. You know, you're getting more money. But when I've talked to Uber drivers, you know, they'll say, well, I don't know, I feel kind of manipulated because I don't I don't really want to do that. And I'm not really sure how possible it will be for me to get that. And they don't really want their compensation tied to this game. And similarly, okay. you know, in Amazon, you know, when when you're working there, it's not like, you know, you have a lot of contact with your managers. It, it comes through these your, your sort of understanding of your performance you know, will come through these real-time games that you can play at your workstation. And yes, maybe it makes it slightly less boring picking and packing, you know, things uh, for, for customers, but the games are designed to reward you for coming back from your break faster or for working harder and faster. And so right. it is this really interesting thing where it's, it's like, yes, of course, you can choose not to work that hard, but they are designed to to change your behavior and to encourage that but but you know yeah it's it, it's very you know a lot of people are not really aware of how common that is in, in workplaces absolutely and you yeah i mean you have a, a a dual perspective on this as a video game designer but you started by studying experimental psychology and neuroscience and so from that study you were ultimately drawn back into your early life love of video games and you specialize in kind of making educational active games. You created Zombies Run, which is obviously a huge success, the most popular smartphone fitness game in the world. So what did the development and success of that game teach you about the changing landscape of this industry? Well, you know, one thing that was surprising to me, you know, we came up with the idea for Zombies Run um, was 11, 12 years ago. And I thought that we would release it and it would be hopefully a big success. And then we would go and make something else. Mm -hmm. But instead what happened was people found it really valuable. And they said, this is um, the only way that, that I can motivate myself to run and to get fit. And it's really changed my life and it's been really important. And so I thought, well, th this is really rewarding as a designer to know that you're, you're helping people and commercially it was good because people were subscribing to the app and so we just kept on making it and i think that that has been echoed with a lot of other apps that have tried to use game design to to help you know people change their behavior and so right. um you know you see so many apps out there brain training games you know health and fitness apps um you know uh, educational apps are all based around subscriptions and using gamification to try and encourage people to use and engage with the app as much as possible because the idea is the more they use the app then the more likely they're going to pay so it you know we were there right at the start and i think that we 
of course, I would say this, but I think that we use game design in a more interesting way than a lot of the other apps. But at the end of the day, the motivation from, you know, the, the attraction from users and from players is the same, which is people think, well, I want to do that and I wish it was easier and I hope a game can make it easier for me. Sure. And and you, you talk about how there's not a lot of science to back up these subscription based brain training games. And a lot of a, a lot of people are drawn to them through uh, it, it simply boredom. I mean, the you know, use yeah. of these kinds of things were really fueled during the pandemic when people had a lot of time on their hands. Um, and, and you say that that also really kind of led to the gamification of conspiracy theories and that QAnon is the world's first gamified conspiracy theory. So tell me kind of how that emerged from this landscape. Well, so, you know, I, I think what was really surprising to me about QAnon when I started first learning about it was that all the people who were into it kind of said the same thing. They said, oh, well, you might think this is crazy, but you, you know, I've done my research and you should do your research. I was like, what, what do you mean you've done your research? Did you like do, do a scientific experiment? Did you go to the library? I, I don't understand. And so what it turned out is that people were just typing in the word QAnon into Google, you know, and, and they were following a series of YouTube videos back then that was on YouTube. Um, they were going to forums, they were going to Facebook groups, they were going to, you know, other communities um, and they were uncovering uh, this not very hidden um, web of of conspiracy theories, sure. and they were sort of swapping ideas about oh I bet this you know this thing in the background of this this video of a politician means this other thing and and you know all these things are kind of impossible to disprove, and the reason why it reminded me of this particular kind of game an alternate reality game is that. It's, it's not like easy to do this, right? It's easier to just go and watch a TV channel or to watch, you know, a video and sit back and, you know, have someone explain a conspiracy theory to you. But it's more yeah. fun. It feels more satisfying. It feels more engaging if you are, feel that you're doing the discovery yourself, right? If you feel that you are uncovering, you know, this conspiracy, you are an active participant and you are doing things that sure, you're on a quest. You're on a yeah. quest, right? And you are valued because there's always new information coming out. Like there's always new things happening in the world. So if you go and see press release by a politician you don't like, you're like, oh, if you add up these numbers, it means this thing. Then other people might say, wow, that's a good theory, and you feel like, oh, I'm I'm being rewarded for my thinking, right? And this community um, cares about me, and I think sort of. Kind of sadly, you know, a lot of people don't get that feedback and that sense of belonging and that sense of sort of um, agency in most of their lives, right? right. Um, because it's a, normally that you, you don't do that. But here you are, you know, a hero who is trying to, to save the world and you can do it at the comfort of your computer. And it feels a little bit like you, you are uncovering something really important, which is like, you know, certain kinds of games. Right. And you're, you're, you're receiving the reward kind of in the form of social credit from other people who are uh, looking for clues about these same things. And you say so socially, you say that social media algorithms also kind of factor into this. How does that work? Well, I mean, I think we're all familiar with how, you know, Twitter and Facebook and, and Reddit and a lot of other communities 
basically have, have gamified, you know, communication, wherein um, if you write something or post something that gets a lot of reaction, um, preferably likes and, and retweets and, and things of like that or upvotes, but but even if you get a lot of dislikes, it's still it's still engagement, right? Right. And the platform will go and promote your piece of content because they, it can see, wow, this is really interesting to other people and we want to show it to more people. And so, I mean, I've had experience, I'm sure a lot of other people have where, where you'll sort of like type something on Twitter and you'll be like, ah, that doesn't get that much reaction and you type something else and suddenly it blows up and you realize, wow, if I just type more things like this, <laughs> you know, um, whether that's, you know, about a TV show or a particular hot take or whatever, then, then I will get more reaction. And I like having a reaction because I like the feeling that other people care about me and care about my opinions. And sure. so I think that is, you know, the, the sort of algorithmic nature of how platforms um, share posts and, and help people discover posts really warps the way in which people um, communicate and, and ultimately how people think because, you know, they think, well, it's only really worth me um, talking in a way that gets a reaction from other people, whether that's positive or negative. Sure, it becomes about getting the dopamine hit of the of the interaction with other people. And it, it, it's so video games have been popular for decades. And I mean, they generate more revenue than movies. Um, and there are lots of positive aspects of the games. Um, you talk about, you know, escapism, joy, discovery, mm -hmm. education, stress relief and socialization. Um, and so with with this recreational phenomenon, morphing into something else, you say bad gamification will not die because it is too tempting for modifying people's behavior. How do we turn it back around to focusing more on the positive aspects of what games can bring to us? Well, I think that there are, you know, we should go and recognize and champion instances of good gamification that are really helping people achieve what they want. Um, I think that ultimately we have to kind of pay for it, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, that sounds, right. it sounds pretty crass, but it's like, well, if, if you don't pay for these things, people won't keep on be, uh, making it. I think individually we can, we can sort of try and recognize and resist when our lives are being gamified in ways that we don't really like, and we can try and turn it off. So for example, you know, by default, my Apple watch would say like, it, you know, 11 30 p.m at midnight uh, at night it would say hey do you want to go for a run and, and complete your movement rings and i'm like it's really late and I, please don't guilt me about about that right now right <laughs> so, 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 so so you can turn that off right that's not your goal like it, this is a goal that, that your watch made for you and so um a lot of this stuff it, it's not really in your service um and it's just badly designed i think you know i would say to to game designers um, there's a really interesting opportunity to, to try and take on a really tough challenge, which is how do you make really difficult and unfun things more fun? And, um, for example, you know, we've been trying to make running more exciting. It's really hard to do that because most people don't actually want to go running, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you, have, you have, to, it's sweaty and tiring and you have to go and put on your, your trainers and, and change your clothes. But if you can do that, it's really rewarding. And so I would say for people doing this, it's like it is it, it you should treat it like a calling almost. It, it's mm -hmm. it's really important if you can do that. 
and and I hope other people will kind of realize that. Sure, and 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 so the the fact that everything that we do, you know, through our watches and phones and and surveillance, it's all increasingly measured and monitored and analyzed, um, and that bodes both well and poorly for the future in different aspects of society. And so how do you see this gamification ultimately kind of factoring into the changing technological and social factors of our society? Well, I would love to say that it will just go away pretty quickly, but I don't think it will. (laughs) Um, I I think it's kind of astonishing how um, prevalent gamification has become in such a short amount of time and how a lot of people, when when I tell them about it, they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I I know what gamification is, but they don't even really see it, you know, until, until you point it out. As we have more wearable devices, as we get, you know, augmented reality glasses and heads up displays and, and all these things, there will inevitably be more gamification in our lives all the time. And you know that's dystopian i think hopefully some of some of that will be good i think that over time you know people will realize this isn't really working right and and like we i don't really want i don't like being scored all the time like it's not it's not comfortable it's not really sort of producing the results that it's promising or that i'm expecting you know like for example you know if you have a peloton and you all you care about is really rising in the leaderboard eventually that's just going to get boring, right? That's not an interesting way. There's not a reason to to be cycling or to be doing exercise. Right. You need to figure out another way, another reason for you to do this, right? hopefully because it's enjoyable or satisfying. But right. it can take a while. It can take a, a long time for people to realize that. Some people, you know, it'll take months, years, decades even before you realize, you know what, this thing, it just doesn't make sense. Absolutely. And it's and it is it's second nature to us. You're, you're right. There are so many things that we don't even notice anymore. We really don't. Yeah. And this this book was so fascinating. And I am I'm so glad that you wrote it. And, and it really opened my eyes to to the, to the manipulation <laughs> that is happening without our our even realizing it. So Adrian Hahn, the, the book is You've Been Played, How Corporations, Governments, and Schools Use Games to Control Us All. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And for Cultural Controversy, this is Shannon Fisher. See you next time.